0: Hey, welcome back family. Today is December the 19th, 2023. It's a Thursday. Uh, wet Thursday. Wet January day here in Canada. Uh, reading from the book by the author, Laurie Gunst. And the name of the book is Born for A Journey Through the Yadi Underworld. Um, we are now at... I call it chapter 3 because the chapters don't have any number. But the title of this chapter is Blood for Blood, Fire for Fire. I started reading it yesterday or I started introducing it yesterday and I segued into some commentary and some thoughts and that took two hours. So that is um, saved. And maybe one day when I'm crazy enough, I'll post it. Just some personal thoughts were shared. And at least it's saved. So as they grow older and the brain retain less at least that's safe for me to refer to for memory but i'm gonna jump straight into *Born for dead by lori guns and the chapter 3 blood for blood fire for fire and um just start reading right away instead of going out um into one going down on my rabbit uh, rabbit trails once again um any caveats or any disclaimers? The eye and eye are getting older and the eye and I need to wear glasses to read the words. Did I put in, did I put some eye drops on these dry eyes? I think I did. So I can actually read it out, reading glasses. So let me try and do that because I'm not going to succumb to any glasses right now. Too young for that. So let's jump straight into Blood for Blood, Fire for Fire. The book so far has talked about um, Lori um She has uh, um, shared her um, experience in Jamaica during the 70s and the 80s. Um, she has first and she has really gone down into some places and actually brought back a lot of memories for I and I as I read it. And, you know, as I... Go forward on this new this chapter Blood for Blood, Fire for Fire. The previous chapter being Brambles. Um, I'm gonna try not to comment too much or go too much on the rabbit trails, and I think that try starts right now. So let's read start reading: blood for blood, fire for fire, Lori guns, born for dead. The guns that traumatize uptoners were so commonplace in Central Kingston that Bramble's children vied with each other to identify them. They lay awake in the night and listened to the different sounds made by a single shot revolver and rapid fire automatics. The revolvers were antiques by then. A powered weapon being the norm since the 1980 election campaign. For almost 50 years, the people of downtown Kingston have lived with intensifying violence, institutionalized warfare with the police, political banditry, and the quieter brutality of being bulldozed or tarched out of their tenements so that one politician or another could build a housing project for his supporters. This has been going on in one wave after another since Jamaica went into the first birth pangs of nationhood in 1938. There have always been two Jamaicas the peaceful island nostalgic, nostalgically remembered by the few, and the one experienced by the rest as the daily burning that Bramble's friend Chronicles knew. He was in his early 70s, old enough to remember the late 1930s and early 1940s when Norman Manley and his first cousin. Alexander Bustamante founded the two parties that led Jamaica into independence. Late at night when Chronicles came home to Foster Lane and his daily, from his daily round of scourging, scourging up little money from his friends on the docks, he would sit on Bramble's veranda and reason about the history by the light of the cursing lantern. In many ways, he said, the politician and their gunmen took over where the slave masters and their overseers left off. The practice of intimidation was a logical outgrowth of the brutal intimacy that had always prevailed between the powerful and the powerless. The gang's business did not come from nothing, Chronicle says, said, and you must understand that this violence passed through many stages. When I was a young man coming up, we used to throw bricks and bottles to break up the other party's meetings. I remember when Norman Manley told us to bring brooms to PMP rallies because people had one in their yard, even the poorest. So we'd carry our broom to all the meetings and chant, sweep them out against the JLP. The broom became the PMP symbol. Chronicles smiled at the innocence of those days. Everything started to change up when the first guns started coming in in the 60s, and then things only got worse. Yet the violence was always there. The PMP and the JLP playing divide and conquer with our sufferers. You may be surprised by how, many, how much politics means to us in the ghetto, but the reason is because we know that if our party loses, we will starve. Jamaica's two political parties were born in the refining fire of a labor rebellion that started in the late spring of 1938. The First World War had raised the price of sugar, bringing a brief moment of higher expectations to the island's workforce. But then the worldwide depression came, and these hopes were crushed in the post-war crash. The sugar industry was monopolized by one British company, Kate and Lyle, which poured capital for labour. Sorry. Which poured capital for labour saving new which poured capital for labour saving new machinery into big estates and began laying off workers. Those lucky to still be employed were earning a shilling a day. One of the plantations was foam from In the parish of Westmoreland near Negril and it was there that workers first rose up set the cane fields on fire and went on strike for a living wage Conditions was just as bad on the united fruit company Wharves in kingston lord oliver one of the island's colonial governors used to go down to the piers where the workers died from malnutrition tuberculosis and yards he watched them staggered under their loads of bananas. Expressionless, almost for a kind of unquestioning patience of beast of Burdens, the looked of all yoked animals in their eyes. That was in quotes actually. But the spring of 1938, but in the spring of 1938, the beast of burden proved they were human. When the foam when the from sugar factory set, when the from sugar workers set fires to the fields, Kingston dock workers joined in the uprising. Soon the wharves were paralyzed by a strike that spread quickly to the ranks of all of the city workers. Firemen, garbage collectors, tram conductors, and, and the night soil, the night soil men who haul excrement away from the city's yards before dawn kingston erupted into mass demonstrations and torchlit rallies the city's middle class that's teachers barristers, civil servants and businessmen had been watching for many years as social conditions got worse and they were edging towards action the leading voice was norman manley a soft-spoken oxford educated barrister who went out to the cane fields at Frome and promised the strikers he would set them, he will help them get their living wage. But while Manly and his supporters sympathize with the downtrodden black laborers, laborers, Jamaicans called Quashi, the African name that stands for the very black and poor, educated reformers were not yet ready to cross the line of, of caste and color and join Quashi's ranks so far the strikes were a black people's struggle and the colored elite knew it so they watched and they waited but the working men and women were not waiting for them for 15 years they had been listening to marcus Garvey and his jamaican disciples preach the doctrine of black self-determination and now they found a temporary leader from the ranks of Garvey's United Negro Improvement Association, the Ireland-based UNIA. His name was Sir William Grant, and he was, a militant, he was a militant who wanted nothing less for his country than full independence from England. For a brief moment, it looked as if the working-class rebellion might just transform itself into an anti-colonial movement. But Grant had a rival for Quashy's loyalty, a fiery, near-white demagogue named Alexander Bostamante. Buster, as everyone called him, soon eclipsed Grant in the sight of the masses, and his rise to power changed Jamaica forever. Hmm, interesting. Bustamante had only recently returned to his native Jamaica from a long pilgrimage through the Caribbean. He had cut cane in Cuba and worked on the Panama Canal. His origins were shrouded in mystery, and he liked it that way. His real name was Clark, but he chose Bustamante for its Latin flair. So his name Clark Alexander didn't even know that Bustamante, and I'm sure a lot of Jamaicans didn't even know that. Alexander Clark is Bustamante, or Bustamante, or Alexander Bustamante is, is really Alexander Clark. Anyway, his origins were short in the mystery, and he liked it that way. His real name was Clark, but he chose Bustamante for his Latin flair, and he promoted his own legend as a self-designated defender of the poor. He was a ghetto moneylender, and at, and at the time, the 1938 uprising began he had already cracked, cracked a whip over the sufferer's head with his light skin wavy hair and strong featured face punctuated by enormous bushy eyebrows Bustamante was a riveting presence he was a ladies man a distinct reputation right raising advantage in the lusty world of Jamaican politics and a ferocious speaker who held crowds spellbound with a combination of angry rhetoric and bad grammar. Bread, he would roar. The people want bread and then he would spell it out P R E D yeah, that's sound like call me spell bread. Why, it spell another way. <laughs> Buster Mantis colour gave him the the the, the 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 definite the definite advantage in a colony where blackness was no virtue. To this day Jamaicans sometimes refer to, them, to themselves as Afro Saxons, ad- admitting that they are still bedeviled by their reverence for English skin and English ways. Even though Bustamante loved to fulmigate against the local elite. Fulmigate? need to check that word. He always proclamated <laughs> proclaimed his, admir- his adoration for the British monarchy, a Jamaican paradox that, was, that has prevailed ever since slaves rose up against their masters and turned for salvation to the crown. Within weeks after the onset of the Kingston general strike, Bustamante had ousted Sir William Grant from leadership of the labour movement and had taken charge of the city's docks. My people, he shouted at rallies, you don't have to think. I will think for you. The chief, they wrote back, we will follow Buster Monty till we die. Now, wait, you hear my phone responding to me? Which phone is that responding to me? You see, your phones are always listening, you know. What did I say a while ago for my phone to say, I didn't understand that? And what is turned on? My television, you see, these devices are always listening to us, you know, because I'm here reading and I just hear my phone say, I didn't understand that. So my phone is here listening to me. I need to figure out what's happening there. But I need to go back just a second without going too much down the rabbit hole about this whole Bustamante thing. as Jamaicans? Beat with chess. About our heroes and Bustamante being one of them. And when you read the story, and that is why you should not idolize man, because clearly Bustamante during his time was an asshole, but history is written by the victors. And that's, yeah, Bustamante Children's Hospital, right? Our biggest children's hospital is named after this man, Bustamante, who clearly was an ass and an opportunist. And, I, and, and, and frankly, a clever one, and you can't even beat him. Don't say don't hate the player, hate the game. No hate here, but it's the awareness, the awareness. You know something about Like sometimes, it's better to keep your head stuck in the matrix, because once you pull it out and see the reality, and all of those layers of BS that we have been said that have coated our minds when that trip away and you see the truth as my guy say in that movie you can't handle the truth sometimes we can't handle the truth Got the truth and i won't jump too much from this man who can't spell bread um and we honor him as a hero and this man who undermined Sir William Grant and clearly because he was most likely lighter skinned and he changed his name from Clark to Bustamante because it has a Latin flair and he did what he had to do. And You know sometimes they say it's not the journey, it's the destination and some people say it's not the destination, it's the journey and some people say it's not the tactics, it's the results, and some people say it's not the results, it's the ta- tactics. At the end of the day, we are where we are. Monty is a revered hero, idolized hero in Jamaica mythology, Jamaica allergy, and that's where it's going to be. Bostamante Children's Hospital, that's where they rush me to when that wire when we were living on Mountain View Avenue and locking up the shop one night and the wire that we used to wrap, we would put a barricade just like how you have the barricades in medieval time when you close the door. And you, you, I remember this big log, old war, worn, age worn log that I had to lift up and drop it in between those two hook arms that were on the two ends of the door and i remember when i i remember growing to the point where i could lift it up by myself because i remember for many years i couldn't and then i reached a point where i could probably lift up one side myself or actually be effective in lifting up one side or something can't remember but i remember i couldn't lift up by myself because i was that small and then sometime in my life i was able to lift it up and When you close the shop doors, you then drop that barricade log in the hook. And then you wire it. We would wire either the doors or we wire the the log. I can't remember which one we wire. But we wired something with like a with 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 something almost like a like a a hanger. Like a, a, a hanger wire when you unravel the wire hanger. And we would wire it each night. Because what would happen over time that wire keep breaking and we'd have to get new wires. And I get another hanger and unravel that anger and use that hanger that, that wire. And the wire one night flew and went straight in my eye, it got stuck in one of my eyes when I was doing it. And they rushed me because they thought I was gonna lose the eye. And my mom rushed me to Bustamante Children's Hospital and what I remember vaguely a child was there that was the first time I saw somebody burned there was another child there in this bed beside me and he or she had burned and that's what I heard doctors them calling that talking about degree burns and I was wondering what's first degree what's second degree what third degree and they were saying something like third degree burns or first degree we can't remember but the person was burnt and i remember the skin wasn't black it was more creamy colored it wasn't black and charred it was creamy colored and scaly the 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 burn the the the, the scab was scaly and there was reds and there, it wasn't like a black charred person there was parts of black charred but the, i more remember the skin looking creamy like pus but it's not pus but have a post colour and scaly I remember that to this day. And they did their thing and they checked the eye and they put a patch over the eye, I think. And we were good. So continuing on bostamante And that happened at bostamante children Children Hospital to keep going. Baba. So bostamante said say, um blah blah, 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 blah and we blah, you know blah, blah, blah. Uh, my people," he shouted at rallies. "You don't have to think. I will think for you. Just even reading that line get me so angry. It's not funny. Just reading that line gets me so upset within myself. Just corrupt, just just interrupt my soul. It's not. It's not funny. Anyway, just to see hear somebody saying that to people and understanding. That, that it happens and, and, and we are like that. To this day, as a people, sometimes we allow this kind of bullshit. We allow people to stand up on podiums in front of us and chat crap to us. And then we talk in unison. You know, we give our voice to them in unison, And that just... right now my brain is just going back to certain things that I have witnessed as a youth. And it pisses me off. Anyway. The chief, they wrote back, We will follow mountain till we die. Hey Lord. When I asked Chronicles about those times, he was still bitter over the chief's demagogic, demagogic triumph. Boy, demagogic triumph. I've always believed that Grant owned Bustamante's. I always believed that Grant owed Bostamante money, he said, and that is why he lost out. But I tell you this. Buster was one of the greatest tragedies in Jamaican history. If Grant had been the man to lead us, maybe this country would have had a real black-oriented government. Instead, what we got was white man rule, and we black people never learned to think for ourselves. Busta main strategy in the beginning was to keep Jamaica in a state of unrest. He played on race and the threat of violence. He played on race and the threat of violence, the trump card in the sufferers deck. There will be bloodshed, he warned. I expect everyone in this country to follow. The niggers in this country shall rise. There will be war. We want revolution in this country and before whites destroy us, we shall destroy them. The Negro blood had been shedding for the past 102 years, and the time has come. Oh, I switched it. The Negro blood has been shedding for the past 102 years, and the time has come that we shall shed theirs. Talk the talk, eh? Divide and conquer, king from the, them days. That's what they're doing now. Divide and conquer us. All right? Anyway. The British locked him up. With Kingston in turmoil, the colonial office in London was looking for someone a little less incendiary to intervene with the strikers. Someone who belonged to the elite, but to whom Kwashi might still listen. Such a man would be revealed, reviled and hated by one class, wrote William Markin, a progressive newspaper editor, he will quite possibly be betrayed by the other. Norman Manley was that man. He and Bustamante happened to be the fir- to be first cousins, but their affinity ended there. Manley was a Rhodes Scholar whose Oxford studies were cut short by World War I. He joined the British Army and was decorated for heroism and it was in the trenches that he got his first taste of racism, as a brown Jamaican and among white Englishmen. He married Edna Senbank, the English-born daughter of Methodist missionary and his Jamaican wife, and brought her home to Jamaica after the war. He began practicing law, and by 1938, he was both a king's council and a keeper of the island's social conscience. The founder of a group called Jamaica Welfare, which politely lobbied the colonial office for reform. Stuck there. Stick there firmly. So Edna Manley's initial name was, or maiden name was, Swithern Bank. Swithern Bank. Interesting. The English-born daughter of a Methodist missionary and his Jamaican wife. Okay, so she had Jamaican... Parentage, but they were probably living in England. She was born there. Okay, so Edna Manley, jeez, Edna Manley School of Arts—that's what they call—is very prominent in Jamaica. I remember um, looking at a lot of Edna Manley work back in the day at the National Library on East Street. When I used to, instead of going and wasting time doing lunch, I would go over to the library—not the library, sorry. The art gallery, the National Art Gallery, which was down on, um down by the waterfront. Can't remember what down there, so near the art gallery. I'd go by the library and walk down to and, Walk down to the art gallery, um, uh, and look at Edna Manley art. I remember seeing a lot of Edna Manley art around them days, and it was interesting. Her er, con her concept her her her. Er, er, What should I call it? Oh, she saw things from her eyes. I won't get too much into a connection with the manly side right now because at the end of the day, I mean, people, they are, they are, they are, they are, they are. Leave it at that. All right, so Manly Large People's National Party in the fall of 1938, six months into the Labour Rebellion, with a moderate platform of Fabian socialism, and a call for a gradual decolonization. The colonial office had, a particular, had no particular objection to Manley, especially after his peacemaking efforts during the strikes, but it wanted Jamaica to have a two party Westminster system in place before the island would be ready for its first election under full adult suffrage in 1944. Independence would not come for another 18 years. It was clear that once the British let him out of jail, Alexander Bustamante would found a second party to Arras Manley's PMP. He started the Jamaica Labour Party as soon as he came out of prison in 1942 and from then in 1942 and from then on became acutely conscious of his new political profile. The chief quieted down considerably and began acting in a more statesmanlike fashion. Trumpeting his loyalty to king and country. In 1944, with the war coming to an end and Britain ready, to, ready at last to unload her fractious Caribbean colonies, Bustamante and the JLP contested the first election and trounced Manley. The PMP won only four seats in the House of Assembly and Manley lost in his own constituency. Ian Bustamante alternated as premiers until independence came, but Bustamante was the one in power when it did. It was the chief who waltzed with Princess Margaret on the night of August 6, 1962 when the Union Jack was lowered for the last time in the National Stadium and Jamaica's black, gold and green flag was hoisted above the, the euphoric crowd. But the formation of Jamaica's two parties was not the only power struggle that dominated the years leading up to independence. The other more violent fight went on between the two labor unions founded by Bustamante and Manley and aligned with their parties. The JLP had its own union, the Bustamante Industrial Trade Union, BITU, and the PMP had its Trade Union Congress, TUC. These unions battled to represent sectors of the newly mobilized workforce. Thus, politics and unionism locked in a deadly fusion that turned Jamaica's working people into two armed camps. The BITU and the TUC went into cane fields, bauxite plants and shipping facilities to fight for supremacy. The violence became the norm in unionism and politics alike. In quotes, before the bosses Eva would even sit down at the bargaining table, Chronicle says, the unions had to bring in thugs to demonstrate their powers. And this was where a lot of the first gang violence began. The BITU controlled the docks, it does to this day. And the TUC fought back elsewhere in sugar, backside, the building trades, the city workers. There were hard fights and the strong men, and the strong arm carried the day. Chronicles had known. I don't know why this chapter is so depressing to me, frankly. You know. Uh, but anyway, it's very depressing. Very depressing. Anyway. Chronicles especially, you know, just reinforcing the the the, 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 the birth of the JLP, which is our current leading party, and you know, seeing how things have switched, and the PNP you now with Mark Golin at the helm, and you know, I'm nothing against Mark, but there we go, right back to the light-skinned Jamaican, um, and nothing wrong with the light-skinned Jamaican, but at the end of the day, and nothing wrong with that, and, you know, I, I want you, but Mark himself, as he has, you know, when you look at someone and it look like if you blow too hard on them, they will fall over. And maybe that's the problem. Maybe that's a winner for him. Because at first I was thinking maybe he's just being pushed to the top because of his light skinliness. But he has zero charisma. I know Mark Golden, you, have, you wear you, you, you your berry hat and you think it looks cool. Mm, not really. But your wife probably like it, keep doing it. Um. I used to wear one, my wife hated it, uh, <laughs> but he seems always on the back foot of things. He never comes up, I've never seen him come up with an original thought, and I'm not beating up on my goal know. I'm just saying from my perspective, and it may be the media that has filtered out the real person, but what is reaching me here in the diaspora, and even when I'm down there, he doesn't come up with an original thought, he has no fire. And but maybe that's what we need. Someone with that lacks charisma. That's not coming with the buster man to fire and all of that. That is just vanilla. In a good way. Maybe that's what we need. Sometimes we ask too much for Napoleon brick and and not and, and cherry, blah blah when all you need is vanilla. So maybe that's where it is. And, Maybe he can make a change, but it doesn't, I don't know. And maybe he's holding his cards close to his chest. As I said, maybe the problem, because here we were very, very, very motivated by our current Prime Minister and the Right Honorable um, Oldness. And Oldness, I think, is. Greatest strength is now has is become our greatest weakness, which is is charisma and its popularity. We probably need to stop voting for popular, charismatic people. You understand? We probably need. It's just that when they're charismatic, and when they can articulate a vision to you, and touch something inside of you, you feel more motivated to lift up arms and war. And <laughs> But maybe it's not about warring, maybe it's about the wheeling and dealing, and probably that's what Mark Golan can do. I don't know. I've lived on this planet long enough to know that I don't know crap. Everything that I thought was blue is really purple, and a lot of things that I thought was purple is really green. So i leave it at that. Um, but this chapter is so depressing for me to read, especially when I remember sitting down as a young man with my GLP, um, Mentors. There was one who was very close to Siaga. He was actually a member of Parliament during Siaga, the Siaga days. And in fact whenever I went down to Jamaica, I, he actually gave me a place to stay. Um, I didn't stay. One night I went there and he said, you know, this part of my property up in Stone Hill you can stay. Here's the key, blah, blah, blah. He had some big ass dog big ass dogs there. But he said the dogs will be fine, don't worry. Once I see you with me, you're fine. And I remember we went to, uh, geez, Carly, no, no, Carly, my Marshall. Um, geez, uh, I, I met the guy the other day on the cruise, you know. Colin Hines, Colin Hines. I went to Colin Hines. Colin Hines had a, had, a, had a big session down in um NHT parking lot there, and we left there 4 o'clock in the morning. And I said to myself, I can either go to Britain, where I know my mom is, and she would open the gate, and I know no gangsters not coming in Britain, because Britain have its own ways, Any the gangsters are they already live in Britain. Or I could go up to Stony Hill and this senile, I ask, well, I, I know this is but I was saying this person who probably not even remembering that I am there hear me opening the gate at four in the morning and 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 bust a shot so i said it's better i go to britain so i ended up sleeping in britain that night never forget it um you know call up my mom and say listen i'm coming i remember as i'm talking this story i remember going through the stop lights which is something that you do after dark in jamaica nobody stop at any stoplight in the four o'clock and i remember getting and, and and patting myself on the shoulder as I found 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 a way without any GPS um, driving down Maxfield when I leave I went through can't remember that road name then got to down Maxfield get down to to Spanish Town Road um, re on one side Tivoli Gardens on the next driving down there got to Greenwich Farm head down to can't remember that road and catch a causeway and get into Portmore in the four o'clock in the morning there. That was a nice little drive. But anyway, um, so yeah, just the fact that you know I've been mentored by these people that was you know so close to all of this. I mean, before my mentorship with the JLP um, folks, um, and I, this person as I said he was I mean when he went going to his home, there was photos of him and the Queen is because his cousin was also a Prime Minister at one time and there's a photo of his cousin and the Queen and it wasn't him it was his cousin and the Queen his cousin greeting Queen Elizabeth Um, but there's photos of him and um, Ronald Reagan There was a couple of photos of him and Ronald Reagan because he would represent the country and go meet with Ronald Reagan with the prime minister at the time, Edward Siaga. And that's a courtship on the JLP side. On the PMP side, I would sit down with people like David Core and Vivian Blake, who was supposed to, Vivian Blake was supposed to run the PMP at one time, but um, take over from Norman Manley. Vivian Blake was a person who was supposed to take over from Norman Manley. But P. J. Patterson—that was a story that they sat down and told me in that basement. Never forget it in that library basement or basement library for the law firm, because um, I would go down there to and read the books. I don't ask me why I'm reading law journals. I was an idiot, and, um, and 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 pick the brains of these elder statesmen, David Core, man, Mr. Core, you know, rest in peace. You are a great man. Um, in terms of disseminating, maybe this book might refer to you and say otherwise. And um, Vivian Blake, humble man, but you know, I wish I had known more about Vivian Blake before he passed. Iron- I- I- ironically, there's a Vivian Blake that led the, the, the shower Posse. So it's not the same Vivian Blake. So let's put that aside. All right so I'm going to keep reading and hopefully my spirits will be raised and I hopefully haven't been a downer for anybody listening this but just kind of reflecting back on the 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 all the people have been you know um you know just how we have been indoctrinated um taking advantage of um, I mean, you can imagine how many times Bustamante or Alexander Clark would laugh at the people in, his, in the privacy of his home. You know, it's it just sickening. But anyway, it is what it is. He wasn't the first and he won't be the last. So, moving on. Chronicles had known one of the founders of the PMP, Will Isaacs wills or i wills o isaacs wills o isaac what also organized its union isaacs never shrank from a fight and when someone asked him in 19 hold on jeez i hope it's recording I whenever i go when someone asked him in 1944 whether he regretted get jamaica descent into partisan violence Isaac shot back, what are a few broken skulls for the growth of a nation central kingston was then part of Isaac's constituency and he became the first PMP politician to play gang hardball with the GLP. He founded his own garrison of Street Fighters, Group 69, and led it into the fray when Buster Mantis men broke up PMP rallies with stones and their bear, back, and bear battles. I went pause here for a second cause my, empress, my, my young empress just came through the door. Yeah, you can hear her dog. Greeting her. This dog is quiet all day until she comes through the door. Then he sh- this dog becomes the yappiest being in the universe. So, I'm going to pause there. All right, continuing. Buster played rough right from the start, Chronicles said. All right, let's do it in Chronicles' voice. Let's, let's create a Chronicle voice. Old Chronicles sound. Buster played rough right from the start," Chronicles said. And he really saw himself as some king of kings. I remember going down to a meeting one night at the Miracle Bank to hear him speak with Norman Manley on the podium behind him. And Buster looked out over the crowd and said, "'You see my cousin? It is the two of us, him or me, and if it's not me, It is him who will rule you. We are a royal family. The two of them locked Jamaica down tight. The JLP took Winston Churchill's V for victory signal and the, the two raised fingers as their sign. Later on, in the black power time, the PMP started using the clenched fist. You know, what we say those two signs really mean? He held up his two fingers and closed them into a face. We two hold them tight. It's the same leader with two different faces. One was white and the other was brown, but it didn't make much difference. See, these are all revelations to some extent in terms of the articulation of this. And these are the things that the people are Jamaica. And this why probably that's why the banned this book this book was banned in Jamaica and probably still is. So you actually hear in a book that's banned in the island that it's about. And it's because it's simple to keep information away from the people and people today understand what it feels like to be mis well misinformed, misrepresented. Anyway, as the two parties evolved in the years leading up to the independence, their constituencies uh, divided along lines of race and class. The PMP became the party of educated, brown-skinned professionals, and its outlook was cosmopolitan and internationalist. After Manley became premier in 1955, he devoted much of his energy to forming a West Indian Federation of British Colonies knowing that unity would be their best hope for economic development after independence. But Bustamante opposed the federation, as many Jamaicans did, full of large island sense of superiority that made them reluctant to ban together with little islands like Antigua, St. Lucia or St. Kitts. The federation's defeat in 1961 referendum was a crushing blow for Manly. Bustamante became prime minister six months later, ushering in Jamaica into independence whose groundwork Norman Manley had laid. Meanwhile the JLP was turning into a kind of schizophrenic entity. The party of the black have nots and the reactionary haves and odd alliance that still persists. Let me see what I must say here so. Meanwhile the JP was turning into a kind of schizophrenic entity the party of black have and the reactionary halves okay and on other lines that still persist bustamante set the tone which is claimed to speak and think for the poor while assurging the the, the class fears of the rich irish writer patrick lee furmore While visiting Kingston in 1950, met Bustamante and Manley and described the JLP leader as a pistol-packing, hard-living, humorous, ex-rabble-raising demagogue whose every word and gesture had an engaging hystronic phoniness. phoniness. As Jamaica inched towards nationhood. World events began to impinge on its internal affairs. The Cuban Revolution sent shockwaves through the Caribbean, beckoning other islands to confront their own entrenched elites. The civil rights movement in the United States sent the message of racial equality around the world and and, and struck with gale force on an island whose black majority hearkened not only to the nonviolent words of Martin Luther King Jr. but also to the anger angrier voices of leaders like Stokey Carmichael, um H. Ralph Ralph Rap Brown, Huey Newton and Eldridge Cleaver. The ruling JLP banned black power literature. Interesting. But it couldn't jam the airwaves that poured American soul music and rhythm and blues onto Kingston Ghetto Street Corners, along with the news of the changes that were coming in the United States. Unlike the street corners of American ghettos, the ones in Kingston were mirroring the country's social dislocation and already sprawling little gangs of their own. Most of their members wielded only ratchet knives, but but a few had started to carry guns. Although these gangs had not yet been drawn into political web, they were already angry rebels spoiling for a fight. Johnny Tubbs, who worshipped the gunfighters in Hollywood westerns, they were the perfect street warriors, waiting in the wings for the politician to recognize their usefulness. The island's economy after 1960s was an added source of both hope and disillusion. Backside and tourism were booming, but their new success didn't take make a dent in the lives of most Jamaicans. The backside plants belonged to big multinationals like Kaiser. Revere and Reynolds metal, and even though they had paid the highest wages on the island this in itself created a labor aristocracy that only made subsistence, subsistence farmers and the peons on their sugar seats all the more aware of their poverty tourism was even more socially corrosive it brought seasonal low-paying jobs to a few people who lived in the small towns on the north coast and this work came with a wicked, atavistic fantasy. The Jamaica Tourist Board wanted white visitors to see the island as the old south of Gone with the Wind. You can rent a lovely life in Jamaica, could one Tourist Board advertisement. Rent a villas, rent a cook, rent a maid, rent a nanny, rent a gardener. It starts with a country house or hilltop, hideaway, that comes equipped with gentle people named Ivy or Maud or Malcolm, who will cook 10 men diaper and launder for you, who will Mr. Peter please you all day long, pamper you with homemade coconut pie, admire you when you look soft, handsome, giggle at your jokes and weep when you leave. Ivy, Maud, and Malcolm, we were living in dirt floor shops, where children with rickets sat dull-eyed in the yards. They walked miles to work in hotel kitchens, scraped uneaten un- food um, into the garbage. Then they walked home along scal- scalding roads while the tourists sped by shiny cars. So if Ivy, Maude and Malcolm wept, it wasn't because you were leaving. None of the prosperity from bauxite and, and tourism trickled down into Kingston. The city was swelling every day, with migrants from, a rural, from the rural parishes who were running from the countryside to a city where they envisioned plenty of work. Decent housing, running water and transportation. What they f- found, What they found were the dongles garbage dump and empty land that had turned into shantytowns, booming on the waterfront of Western Kingston. Middy Kingtown town would have be pretty, pretty, said Joycey, a sweet-tempered, withered prostitute who was one of Bramble's oldest friends. She had come to Kingston in 1960, a young country girl with stars in her eyes. But I got off the train there in in the west by carnation market and the depot and all i could see was a pitchy patchy shanty and zinc fence marga dog and hungry belly pitney not a true house inside lord i wanted to go right back home but i was proud in them days and i thought i could make something out of myself in kingston you know once you go a town it's like you go a foreign you can't come back unless your pockets full The shantytowns had spawned their own culture of African redemption by then, Rastafarianism. Rastafari... Jesus, I shouldn't have slowed down. I now have to slowly go through this word, Rastafarianism. Alright, so the shantytowns had spawned their own culture of African redemption by then. Rastafarianism. And the locksmen were living in the West Kingston dongle. The lion-maned, barefoot prophets took their philosophy from Marcus Garvey's Pan-Africanism and their inspiration from Ethiopia's Haile Selassie. When Rastafarianism was born in the late 1930s, Ethiopia was the only African nation unfettered by colonialism, and Rastafarians believe, or Farians believe, that Selassie was the living incarnation of Negus, the Black man's true God. Rasta is God without an apology, Bramble loved to say, quoting some of his virgins' prayer. They challenged every one of Jamaica's cherished social norms. Churchical Christians, Christianity, here straightened, and Afro-Saxon prim- prim- primness, and the politics that flourished in its intraceably corrupt Babylonian shits, System, shit, Stim s h i t s t e m, shit, stim. shit stim. like system with pool. So there was war between the Rastas and society in those early days. When the locksmen ventured out of the dongle, they were hounded through the streets and beaten by police, who took special pleasure in shaving off their dreads. Most of the burgins were apolitical in the extreme and wanted nothing to do with Babylon. But black American militias saw this Jamaican Brotherhood as a potential revolutionary vanguard. In 1960, this eph- ephemeral alliance sparked a brief uprising, one of the stranger episodes in the island's long history of revolts. It was Claudius Henry, another Jamaican-born visionary in the tradition of Alexander Bedward returned to his homeland from the United States. Henry brought with him a small cadre of black American radicals from a group called the First African Corps, the First Africa Corps based in the Bronx. Soon this vanguard was joined by militant Rastafarians who hearkened to Henry's preachments that he was the repairer of the breach between Africa and the Caribbean. The Rastas believed that he would shepherd them back to africa but meantime meanwhile anyway was stockpiling guns bought with proceeds from several bank robberies committed in new york city by a rogue cop officer who belonged to the first africa corps in june 1960 the west india regiment raided henry's gorilla camp in the hills above kingston five of his men were Five of his men shot their way out of the ambush and threw several police roadblocks, killing two soldiers and wounding three others. Among the guns and revolutionary literature dis- discovered in the raid was a letter from Claudius Henry to Fidel Castro. Dear Dr. Castro, Henry wrote, we wish to draw your attention to the conditions which confront us today as poor, underprivileged people, who were brought here from africa by the british slavers over 400 years ago we now desire to return home in peace to live under our own vine and fig tree otherwise a government like yours that gives justice to the poor otherwise a government like yours that gives justice to the poor all our efforts have to have a peaceful repatriation have proven a total failure Hence we must fight a war for what is ours by right. Therefore we want to assure you sir and your government that Jamaica and the rest of the British West Indians will be turned over to you after this war which we are preparing to start for Africa's freedom. We are which we are preparing to start for Africa's freedom is completed and we her scattered children are restored. We are getting ready for an invasion on the Jamaican government. Therefore, we need your help. We have the necessary men for the job. The black people of Jamaica are with you and your government 100% and desire to see that Jamaica gets into into your hands before we leave for Africa. End. It took another week after the raid for the police to hunt down the, the militants who had escaped. Their leader. Henry's son, Reynold, was hanged for treason a year later. Norman Manley, Queen's counsel, was one of the barristers who prosecuted the case, and his arguments against the Rastafarians who followed Claudius Henry did not endear him to the bedroom. But Henry himself became a passionate partisan of the PMP. He served eight years in prison and came out in 1969 still a believer in the inevitability of african repatriation in 1972 in the 1972 election he threw his weight behind a young michael manley believing that the son of a famous father had seen the light and would send jamaica's black captives home to africa to be free despite its magical realistic its magical realist undertones Claudius Henry's aborted rebellion was a very real distress signal a warning to Jamaica of how deep the fissures of race and class were. David DaCosta a white Jamaican journalist who began working for the Gleaner and the BBC in the 1960s saw the Henry affair saw the Henry affair as a, a bringer of what was to come, our bigger our bingo of what was to come. Our well, established society has always been very fragile, he said. The problems were insoluble, and you will never really be able to meet your own aspirations. The more decent a society you postulate, the more impossible reaching your own goals become, given the expectations that you yourself engender. When I saw. What I saw happening in the 60s was the established societies beginning to break its own bonds. Break its own bonds. It couldn't meet its own aspiration and therefore it become hypocritical in its own eye. The judges, the lawyers, the teachers all taught a standard way, which they knew could not meet, could not be met. Talked a standard which oh the judges that are the, the lawyers. And teachers all talked a standard which they knew could not be met. In their hearts, in their hearts of hearts, they knew the situation was racing beyond them. Like many other uptown Kingstonians, after the enville led rebellion, the castor started carrying a gun. Coming home late and slightly drunk one night to his home in Stony Hill, he almost shot someone he thought was a prowler lurking in the bushes. But it was only the gardener boy, too shy to come forward and ask the customer for pay. All right, you know, <laughs> that's funny. Remember earlier talk about not going to that politician's house that he had offered me to stay um, in Stony Hill. Because I know that at night, he probably drunk and he would probably not rem- remember that, oh, so-and-so is staying in the guest house. And I come there and he will shoot my ass. Here is this book saying that Costa was carrying a gun, slightly drunk in his Stonehill house, and could almost shoot his gardener boy thinking he's a prowler. Same, same thing. <laughs> and that friend of mine, he is one of the light-skinned Jamaicans. All right, that, that, that mentor. How I met that mentor was um, when I was working at the titles office, and he would come in with his list of properties that he wants the volume and folio of number four and the name of the person. Normally you would have to go to, well, you know, what they call this. It's happened so many years, so nobody can say anything now. Or my little roast, also, instead of going through cashier and paying for each individual search and all of that, and each title, you would have to search it individually. And I think there was a quote as to how many titles you could get, and how much searches you could get. It would just slip me the paper, I, with all the lists, uh, a printed paper, usually like a dot matrix printer printed or something like that. So some of it not even print properly, I remember, or not even, I probably got it faxed to him because the ink was always crap and it was always outer line. And I would go and find, I think it's the address he would give me, in mostly in Sector F in Edgewater. never forget it. was A lot of it was Sector FH Water, And um, I would need to find a volume and folder number, so i do a map search, find the volume and folder number, then find those titles, and write down the name and address, or uh, any information I can get on the current owner. And he would give me a list of 50, 100, uh, something, 20, 20 to 50, not 100, 20 to 50, most of the time. And in other communities also, you know. And, and it happened that he eventually started a real estate company. And yeah, so this gentleman, that was how I met him at the titles. And also I was playing, I was playing sports in my community. okay. and that's what tied it up. Yeah. Um, And he was minister of development and sport at the time. So as a youth from a certain communities, they want to connect also with the people who they consider influential are youths who have some who they perceive have some kind of leadership so that's how we're connected and we're connected to this day to this day we're connected um he's still alive actually um yeah um anyway but see the 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 the, the Casta who is the playing his role in this book almost um, shoot his gardener who probably would be me anyway <laughs> anyway moving forward we uh, are one hour in i gotta I, I probably can't finish this chapter today the next day i took the gun to the Canton spring police station and turned it in i said here you keep it who is talking i don't even know who is talking the next day i took the gun because this is in quotes uh, who is talking in david acosta i guess it's david acosta talking yeah the ne- oh, Sir so David DeCasse attacking. The next day I took the gun to constant Spring Police and turned it, turn it in, I said. The next day I took the gun turn it, and took it to the Kansas Spring Police station and turned it in, I said, here you keep it. I never want to see it again. Detective, Detective Van duty asked me what had happened, and I told him, he laughed. But you would have had every right to kill the boy, he said. You would have looked after you. And that was really my first glimmering of what class and color meant in Jamaica. I could have killed an innocent child and been looked after by the police and never carried a gun after that. But while the was turning away from weapons, the rest of his countrymen began using them with deadly frequency. Gun violence was already a fact of life in the ghettos, where the two political parties had embarked on their struggle for supremacy. The sufferers were soon to be introduced to a young politician who would make this internecine, internecine, I need to write these words down enough. now. Internecine, I-N-T-E-R-N-E-C-I-N-E, internecine, check that word, who would take this internecine violence to a new level. He was the son of a Syrian Lebanese family from Kingston, but he was born in Boston and educated at Harvard. In 1954, he came home to Jamaica to carve out a place for himself. His name was Edward Siaga. Blinds. Siaga had a bachelor degree in sociology. He had a keen interest in Afro Jamaican revivalist cults and their music. He quickly made friends with shepherds at the revivalist tabernacle and wrote a pamphlet about their religion and he also opened a little recording studio in West Kingston where he started producing Mentos, Kia and some early reggae music. Siagas' ties to the Pocomania church led by Capo Reynolds lets Siagas tap into one of the greatest veins in Jamaica's religious Lights. Despite Siagas' white skin, his alliance with Capo Center crucial message to West Kingston this foreign-born white fellow had serious credentials as a roosman and he was nobody's fool legend has it that siaga's want siaga wanted to be to first legend has it that siaga wanted to at first to join the pmp and that norman Manley turned him away because he disliked the young man but alexander bustamante recognized siaga's political skills and received him into the jlp appointing him to the legislative council in 1959 Siaga won the West Kingston seat in parliament. Three years later, he has never lasted since. Since 1959, the JLP then named him Minister of Welfare and Development, a position he soon began abusing so savagely that the sufferers call him the Minister of Warfare and Devilment. <laughs> devilment, no sir. As them say, after bad things, make joke siaga saw the surest road to power lay in building housing for supporters and in 1966 he embarked on a particularly brutal siege of slum clearance in west kingston shanty called Bacawall. the neighborhood was packed with pmp supporters and rastafarian squatters living in tiny shacks built out of flattened gasoline cans hammered tin cheese, cheese tins and salvaged, salvaged lumber it had not been easy to build, but the people of Bakawal had managed to make a community of their own. Right, let's go. Bakawal. Need to do some work on Bakawal. Bak. This is our history. Siaga routed, routed them with bulldozers and squadrons of police. The destruction of Bakawal was something that no one who witnessed it ever forgot. Some of the Rastas tried to fight back, and a few lay down in front of the advancing machinery, but they were no match for the police with their rifles and tear gas. When the shanties were leveled and the bulldozers that scraped them into piles, work began on a housing project called Tivoli Gardens, TG, where Siaga awarded his supporters with homes. They became his people for life. TG oh boy anyway the pmp did not stand idly by while siaga became the, the the patron saint of west kingston all right a little bit about tg i can't remember a couple of years ago when they had dudus when they the, the american um authorities were looking for the art they were looking for Dodos. they wanted to extradite Dudus. Dudus, which is the son of jim brown jim brown which was a bodyguard for edward siaga and leader of the shower posse and Um, And Dodo's claim was taking refuge or being hidden or being covered by the people in the same Tivoli Gardens. And I remember, and and this is one of the reasons I always tell folks in Jamaica, Jamaicans in the diaspora is no less responsible or probably even more responsible for Jamaica. And I said that a little facetious, but no less responsible and and, and have... um, and can claim Jamaica no in no less fashion than Jamaicans who live on that island. And I'll tell you why. Each person their own is still in a car. Some people, yes. But you have some people overseas that that that, that 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 relinquish anything to do with Jamaica. And you have some a lot of people who live in Jamaica who relinquish anything to do with Jamaica. If they could get out they would. So not being physically at one space or the other doesn't make you any more or less connected and, and, and entitled, so to speak, for lack of a better term. I remember the, when the whole do this thing was going down and it made the international news and you had, they said they had spy planes from the US and you could see some spy planes flying over Tivoli Gardens and, and and the shootout and the place under siege for how many days and police ran Adams having him gun and people, you know, and all of what was going on and the, the news, international news, was somehow that a warlord was being hidden by the people or something to that effect. And I remember uh, Afghanistan. Is he from Afghanistan? I think it's Pakistani. It was Pakistani. A Pakistani um, engineer at a company I was working on my team. A yeah, senior guy he turned to me and he, in his very thick Pakistani accent, he asked me, why is it that us Jamaicans give so much trouble and, and why are we hiding a drug lord? And he pointed it at me, why, why, why you? I was the one responsible, me. And, 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 and that was, that's just one of those incidents where, and I'm sure many Jamaicans in the diaspora all over the world are the face, they are the, they are the face, they are the first, they are the, in quotes, ambassadors for Jamaica in their communities, in their groups, at work, in their churches, in their organizations, somebody drive past them and, you, and, 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 and they encounter someone just at a supermarket, you are the face, you know, you, you end up being the face of, of, of the country. And so when people start tiffing and tearing, you, you sometimes you just sit back and laugh to yourself. Anyway, moving forward, about Tivoli Gardens. I, I, I had to divert on the Tivoli Gardens thing for a minute. Anyway, da, 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 they became people for life. The PMP did not stand idly by while Siaga became the patron saint of West Kingston. A young politician named Dudley Thompson ran against Siaga and lost, but in the process began to carve out power base, uh, a power base of his own in Western Kingston. He was a sharp man with pudgy features and he wore a knitted thumb to signify solidarity with the sufferers. People call him Cuddly Dudley behind his back and he took himself very seriously, but he took himself very seriously. A British trained barrister like his friend Norman Manley, Thompson went to Kenya with a legal team that defended Jomo Kenyatta against charges of sedition. And after that, he started calling himself the Burning Spear, like the African Freedom Fighter. Thompson and Siaga fought a proxy war in the streets of West Kingston, mustering small armies from the ranks of the neighborhood's top gunmen. These gangs were the ancestors of every political party that came later. Siaga's main squadron was the Phoenix, whose leader was Zaki and Zaki the High Priest, and Frank Bad Boy Gillespie. Bad word, Frank Bad word, Gillespie. Gillespie. Yeah. One of the Phoenix members was a charismatic youth called Claude Masop, Yep, Mr. Masop remember you, who was already apprenticing himself to, those, to these masters and rising through their ranks. He would become the undisputed Donate Gardens in the 1970s until I think they, they, they light up Mr. Masop. The, 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 the The Phoenix had allies in other parts of the city where the GLP was trying to capture support in central Kingston the Phoenix was uh, aligned with again called the Max based in a little corner called Southside. The Max threw its force behind the GLP and Southside gradually became a labour right stronghold within pmp dominated central Kingston. This divided and this divide and conquer strategy soon became the party's standard operating procedure throughout the city. Divide and conquer. Anyone 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 see what's happening? Divide and conquer that is almost probably in the art of war, probably the top. Divide and conquer, divide. Yeah, let me not divert. Um, keep going, I, I kind of getting hungry too. So, um, blood sugar level running low, so I'm reading a little faster. And but I don't want to go too fast because I'm kind of actually learning here, but I probably need to take a break and get some food, blah, 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 Faced, uh, blah, 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 blah. divide and conquer through the city. Faced with a certain um, prospect of escalating gang warfare, the PMP soon creating its own mercenary squadrons. In central Kingston, a gang called Tel Aviv began fighting off the max from Southside. Its leader, Dixie Dawkins, told me they had picked the Israeli name after the movie Exodus came out because Tel Aviv was known to, known to be impregnable. Impregna, impregnable. Dad. Over in Western Kingston, Dudley Thompson, Cuddly Dudley, <laughs> began assembling a fighting force of his own. Two gangs called the Vikings and the Spranglers. The Vikings had taken a name from the movie starring Kirk Douglas and one of their leaders, Glenn Puget, started calling himself Dillinger after his favorite American outlaw. Thus began the time-honored tradition of gunmen modeling himself of Hollywood desperadoes. Um, pause there. Uh, if anyone from the um, United States even listening to this, any surprises or even how Kirk Douglas has been as Kirk Douglas? Yes, Mike Douglas, um, superstar dad is influencing Crime in Jamaica. <laughs> oh, you guys, you criminals down there! Yeah, patterning themselves after your movies. <laughs> Glenn Puzik started calling himself Dillinger after his favorite American outlaw. Just began that. What if we weren't getting criminal movies from? And not gonna blame us. We are master of our own destiny. But suppose we're getting that different kind of um, um. What should I say? You are what you eat, you are what you consume, but that's a different diet of, of a different, the, 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 the media was providing a different diet. What if that diet was different? Since you are what you consume and we weren't consuming shoot them up movies, killer movies, then it would be interesting. Interesting, interesting. Dillinger claimed the honour of uh, the outlaws vied with each other for the distinction of killing top rankings from opposite opposing gangs. Dillinger claimed the honour of being the man who shot Zaki the High Priest, the JLP gunfighter from Tivoli. When the dust had cleared and Zaki was buried, the grieving Tivoliites named a street after their fallen hero. Uh, the Spranglers, the other PNP party were based on Regent Street in West Kingston and their leader was a robber named Big Uzi. The gun was already becoming famous in Jamaica following its use in Israel. Soon, the spranglers and the phoenix were gunning for each other in retaliation for the murder of their leader, Zaki the High Priest. Phoenix gunman invaded a dance in Southside and killed a sprangler named Rashi who was said to be Dudley Thompson's prodigy. When the case came to trial, Thompson pressed unsuccessfully for a killer to get the death penalty. The JLP Phoenix and the PMP Vikings got their chance to fight a full-scale street war in the spring of 1966, at the same time that Sierra was bulldozing the squatters out of Wall. A series of bitter industrial disputes broke out that April across the island from the KNP's. Fields at from where the 1938 labor uprising began, to the Kingston waterfront and the tourist hotel uh, around Montego Bay. The strikes were sparked by a power struggle between the unions, but the violence soon spread to the western West Kingston Street as displaced sufferers from black backer walls saw so their chance to vent some of their rage. The Phoenix and, and, and Vikings rampage against the police up and down. The waterfront along, along spanish road and through the narrow streets of western kingston the gangs had pistol dynamite and homemade bombs but the security forces had rifles and tear gas the army sent in troops by helicopter and by sea the gangs were outnumbered but they kept on fighting by the end of the summer 20 people were dead and 500 had been arrested Fifty guns were seized, along with uh, 800 rounds of ammunition and enough Molotov cocktails to burn down Western Kingston. By fall, Kingston violence had taken on a frightening and permanent new pattern. Now the gangs were attacking dances, movie theatres, the rum shops downtown and some of the gunmen were going uptown to rob the homes of the rich. The ruling JLP declared a state of emergency that stayed in effect until 1967 election. In which it won a majority of parliamentary seats. By then, the gunmen had worked for the gunmen who worked for the politicians had become the new lords of the street, politely hailed as community leaders who could wage war and make peace. Some started calling themselves the Untouchables in homage to Elliot Ness because they were beyond the law's reach. I probably need to stop and I'll get something to eat. No, soon finish. Dixie Dawkins, the Tel Aviv leader from Central, was one of Bramble's friends. He was green and pretty much retired from active duty by the time I got to know him, but he still had a soldier's glint in his eye despite the soft, Buddha-like punch above the waistband of his track shorts. The three of us often met at a rum shop on the old Tel Aviv corner across the street from a mural of Michael Manley and Marcus Garvey, decorated with graffiti that said, Siaga raped We want no war. Siaga was a man who in them times used to move with the radicals on the street and kick up pure rumpus, Dixie said. We call him Blinds on account of the dark glasses he always wore. And when Blinds walked, it seemed like he, he had all the power in the world. You know that since he won the West Kingston seat for the first time in 1962, he has never held a rally in this constituency. He don't need to. That's how sure he is of his people there. Dixie acknowledged that Dudley Thompson put that, that talk was really because I getting real hungry. And actually, I, that was an intention, how oh, that talk, that, that voice was supposed to be. You know? It's just that I just slipped into this hungry phase and that came out of me and I just went with it. but. That wasn't, an in, that's not necessarily all Dixie Dark and sound. Sorry Dixie, that's hungry me. Anyway, Dixie acknowledged that Dodd-Thompson had put his own force, the spranglers, in the field because Siaga met at left the PMP with no other choice. Meanwhile, an even more vicious kind of symbiosis was uh, developing between the politicians and the paladins as members of parliament from both parties consolidated power by building housing projects for their supporters. A mafia-style link was quickly formed between the construction industry and the gangs. The PMP built a housing project in West Kingston called Arnett Gardens, soon popularly popularly rechristened to Concrete Jungle. It was during the building of this project that two gunmen, Feather and Burry Boy, emerged as PMP's premier enforcers. By the early 1970s, when Michael Manley became Prime Minister, the ties between the contractors and gunmen, between politicians and the outlaw, Bagmen, were too strong to break. Feather Mop and Burry Boy, uh, boy. I'll leave that story for you another time. Too hungry to tell it. The leaders, but anyway, big up Mr. Feather the leaders had let slip the dogs of war and they were, now, there would be no leash in them now. When Jamaicans look back at the beginnings of this tribal warfare in the Kingston of 1960s, they still argue over who started the fighting. Dudley Thompson and Edward siaga were universally acknowledged to have been the field marshals. But for many people, the first skirmish was a speech Siaga made in 1965. The occasion was a ceremony at Kingston National U.S. Circle where all the party leaders had gathered to commemorate two men who had led led the bitter Marant rebellion of 1865. Alexander Bustamante and Norman Manley were there, both aging and ailing, and Siaga and Michael Manley were each only a few years away of becoming leaders of their respective parties. Some youths in the crowd booed Siaga and if Face them down with an open threat of war. If they think, ah, this is Sierra, I hungry, I is hungry. I was hungry, but that actually sounds like Siaga in my head. If they think they are bad, no, no, yeah, sound different. If they think they're bad, no. If they think they are bad, no, it's still not working. Sierra, come, 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 come. Let me, let me zen my Sierra. Let me, mm, Sierra voice. If they think. It's not going to work hard. If they think they're bad, he shouted. If they think they're bad, he shouted. I can bring the crowds off West Kingston. We can deal with you in any way, any time. It will be fire for fire and blood for blood. No one doubted that he meant it. But of all the men at National Year Circle that day, perhaps Norman Manley grieved the most. He was then four years away from dying, exhausted by three decades of political struggle and battle with the forces of the JLP, and he lamented Siaga's rising power in this new era of violence in Jamaica, which threatens the whole basis of our national life. Norman Manley had made a speech during the 1966-67 state of emergency, prompted by the West Kingston riots in which he refrained from calling Siaga by name and instead spoke ominously of him only as this voice alien to Jamaica. With what voice does he speak, this highly educated and sophisticated man? What language does he use? Do we recognize the voice of Jamaica or do we hear a voice alien to our ideals? our practices and our faiths. Our side cannot quiet this ugly turmoil. Both sides must meet and and honestly agree. I hate to see Jamaica divided and torn. I hate to see Jamaicans killing and maiming Jamaicans while the leaders roll around in comfort. I hate to see the spirit of nationhood broken and destroyed. Who will join me for Jamaica's sake? But no one was listening. It was already too late. And we end there. Uh, I made it to the end of Blood for Blood, Fire for Fire. Although it, she said it would said it be Fire for Fire and Blood for Blood. But the, the, ta- the, the, the title is Blood for Blood, Fire for... Eh? whichever. So still a pretty depressing, didn't end any more upbeat but very informative era circle my little story about your circle the high school i went to for five years was right across from evil circle in fact our address is your circle national era circle that's the address of my high school and we would walk through your circle that big huge 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 piece of land huge piece of land that touches Mid-up, mid-downtown, uh, top-downtown to downtown. Because after my school, I think the border of Kingston and St. Andrew was after my school, if memory serve me correct. I think we were like on, we, our school was Kingston, and the, then they got a fence, and Michael, which was on the other side, was St. Andrew. Right? So, in fact, the school I went to was at Wilma's was attended by Siaga, Edward Siaga himself, as you know, he's a known Alma, what you call it, Alma Mater, whatever, he's a known, whatever you call him. Uh, I'm too hungry to think right now. Um, aluminum, alumin, whatever. Anyway, um, aluminum, <laughs> make cars. Anyway, um, so that's where I was, and I remember when we would walk from school go downtown. Sometime would stay over by Era Circle. And there was these graves down the bottom, down the south side of the, the, the circle, um, where you would find Michael Manley grave was there. at the time I was there, I think his grave was there. I'm not 100% sure, I'm pretty sure. Um, I'm not, was Michael Manley grave there? Norman Manley Grave was there for sure. Bustamante, William Grant, um, there was all these graves there. And you would have a little house, a little guard house, a little, little four by four house with a, with, a, with a peak roof, red and white, and a soldier would be in their garden always. Uh, we would run and race, I remember it was always dry, and patches of grass, more dirt than grass. You could see that maybe when circle was built, it was built to be, you know, lush with green grass, but it was a desert. I remember Circle being a desert with small oases, off, like where the graves were down to the south side. but. And, the de- and it wasn't like sandy desert, it was rough. It was like whenever rain fall, it wash away all the loose dirt. And so a lot of deceptive, because it looks soft, but when you, if you fall, when, whenever you fall on that gravel would cut through your skin and there was always broken bottles, pieces of broken bottles all over. You could never walk barefoot across your circle, I find anyway. I remember once we'd race, you know, coming home from high school, as we went to our all boys school. We're always mounting each other to see who is the fastest, who could run the fastest. And I remember we would set up and race and sometimes you want to take off your shoes to run. And man, when you're done, your foot bottom filled with buckle, <laughs> broken buckles. I remember, man, Jesus, please I feel the pain just remembering it, you know. Um, because usually your shoes either too tight or something because it's always a hand me down so you can't really run in the shoes. Right so you're gonna try and run barefoot, take off the shoes and try and beat this person. And man I remember you just remind remembering it I can literally see the skin with the with the, 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 the your, your 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 prints with that those like swirly swirly things just lifting up from the, the the bottom of your foot when you step on and on on the, on the Ah boy, yeah man, Daffy, remember that race, ah boy, uh, Webo. remember that race, brother, remember the race, the race, the race along um, Ewa Circle as young, young men. So it's amazing just to read this book and know that we were there in this, these historic places and historic times and, and and we were just existing, we didn't even know what was going on. We were, they were busy being taught. Um, colonial history the history of Europe um, the, Mar- the only Martin Luther I was taught about in high school was the Lutheran some, something to do with Christianity in Europe Martin Luther was some, some Lutheran and started some satire and, 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 and I remember our history book was called from, from Brechneuf to Bismarck or from Bismarck to Brechneuf something like that and it was all European and about the czars in, 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 in the czars, Nicholas, Nicholas, something like that. And, oh, they killed his family. Uh, the, 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 the Russian Revolution, and they killed his family. Those are the things that we were taught. We weren't taught. My, I don't think one day my, any of my teachers came into class and said the words, Marcus Gavi. No, yeah, you, they, they probably say it, the the names when they're talking about, you got to know the heroes. But that was it. That was about it. I I remember when I wanted to learn about Marcus Garvey is, uh, I read this book and the book, I didn't even get the book. I got photocopy of the book was loose leaves, which was one of the most difficult thing to read because it wasn't collated. So I had to try and collate it myself but someone somehow had photocopied a book, a Marcus Garvey book, and somewhere, somehow, I got, I got it. Maybe I bullied somebody for it, I don't know. And, and shamefully so, but it is what it is. You have to do what you have to do. And the book came stapled, or the papers were stapled, but the staples were popping out, so it was all mixed up. And that's how I learned. I read about my read, read some of Marcus Garvey quotes and some and and, and and I remember thinking, Why weren't we taught this? Why aren't we being taught this? This is interesting. I was probably in fifth farm at the time. So fifth farm being like the last farm to to, to graduate unless you you go to sixth farm. Um, but I left at fifth farm. I left and we we went to my, my leave in high school was the most... It's, it's probably a story of my life, you know. I, things just happen. Which is one of the reasons why I reach a point where I try to plan and, and think and double think. And, 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 and probably it's not the best way to be still. But, you know, you think and rethink and think and think again. Even this, before I post, I might think and rethink. But it's going to be posted. The other side I always wins. Because, you know, after leaving high school, it was, I, I just didn't take, take high school seriously, frankly. Didn't take it seriously. After leaving, I needed to get some more CXCs. I didn't have enough to go to university. So, and the thing was, oh, you gotta go to university. By the time I reached a point realizing that, you know, I, you know university is a thing. It was too late, I had out most of my, especially maths, I hated maths. I decided I wasn't going to learn maths. I don't even know how my maths teachers never kicked me out of class. I remember were doing the CXE exam and if there were a hundred questions, I probably could answer three. I don't know the other 97, the other 94. See I don't even know maths. <laughs> Can't add. Anyway. Um, and I remember even getting my maths teacher so angry. She, she, she draped me up one day. She said, you take my class off. You take me for fool." She was an Indian teacher. She was from India. She wore the Indian dress with it, you know, wrapped around. And she had a dot never fixed. Her name was Miss. Miss Kumar. Was she Miss Kumar? I can't remember if Kumar was her name or Kumar was. Yes, she was Miss Kumar. My maths teacher was OK she was miss kumar my maths teacher and i had another math teacher a chemistry teacher something named mr damdar later on so we had damdar and kumar kumar was my maths teacher yes miss kumar I wonder if i can find her Jeez, uh, geez she's probably passed and gone by now but she was young um miss k-u-m-a-r miss <laughs> um, uh, Kumar, <laughs> yeah, I, I know I type in message. Maybe anyway, I see. Uh, let's see if I find it. Um, no, no Kumar. Uh, no Kumar. No Kumar. Kumar is all blocked out. I see a lot of my school, which is. Alright, let me try Mr. Damdar. Damdar, although I wasn't interested in Damdar, D A M D A R, Damdar. Damdar. No Damdar. Ish. Alright, let me take out my school name and just put Kumar. And put Kumar, Jamaica. Kumar. Uh, Artist Kumar, okay, so a regular artist named Kumar. Forget it, just put maths, one more try. Mathematics, M A T. mathematics. And Kumar maths class, let's see, maybe here we go. Uh, yeah, I give up, anyway. So, um, I'm gonna wrap up now. I wanted to just reflect on wool and, jeez, and, and, um, what a is the place him. Um, Hero Circle. And the fact, then it kind of segway into the fact that we are right across. We are actually on Hero Circle. I remember you know, those days, man, walking up Hero Circle from jumping off the bus and we would walk fast, fast walking. Nobody wanted to run, but we would walk fast and see who first reached school gate and would walk and change gears, you know, pretend change gear, in a way, with a hip and my hand. That's how we, crazy. Couldn't, yeah, that was the, the extent of us owning a car. Um, But very great work, Laurie Guns, in putting this book together. It is, I know, if in, in retrospect, I can look at it and say it is from a, it clearly is more I don't even know if it's left or right, because Manly being socialistic and Eddie Siaga was more of a, of a... It's weird because I don't even know the difference now, but Eddie Siaga would more be aligned with the Democratic Party and Manly would have more been aligned with the, the, the Republican Party. But no, because when you think about it, Edith Siaga days, um, he actually was connecting with Ronald Reagan. He was, he, that Reaganomics came through Odysseaga, if memory serves me correct. But as, I think his chronicle said it earlier, between the fist and the, and the V sign, the V sign comes down and turns into a fist. Um, same, per, same person, same just two different faces. And that is something in Jamaica that I noticed that we are ruled by a monarchy, local monarchy, of the same people. And the only way that will ever change is for these people to die out. And when I say die out, they have to grow old and die. Although some have been passing down the legacy from family member to family member, from generation to generation, and we see it. And they know who they are, politically. Some even have gotten their wives into politics, or their spouses into politics. And their, their spouses have entrenched themselves. That spouse and husband, husband and wife, um, political um, 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 partnership. Our Prime Minister has done it too, which, in I mean, from a different perspective, he's a black man, so it might be a counter to the, the, what has happened in the past, we don't know, but, and you never know. <clears throat> it's all about strategy. As um, you know, someone said, you can't fight a war of attrition with um, attrition mentality. If you're fighting a war of attrition, then you use manoeuvre. You, you turn the war into a war of manoeuvre. So, maybe it's a manoeuvre by uh, Mr. Olness, And you can't even, when you think about it, you can't even blame him. Yeah, I mean, there's no oldness um, ancestry political that I can think of. Honest came up to the ranks as a minister of education and whatever else. So in being there is in being there. Um, and it, it was actually at the detriment of Bruce Golden that oldness, um flew to fame. And interestingly, we wouldn't have thought that Olness would have it would have jumped so quickly from a Siaga Bruce to a Olness. You'd have thought that it would have probably circulated around like a Mike Henry are one of those traditional, light-skinned Jamaicans running the party for a while before it got to a wholeness. But that was a a, a a a step forward in time, and you know, for what it's worth, it's what it is. At the end of the day, I am a big advocate of trying not to focus on people and the differences that will look like in today's day, because it all has to do with today's day to a, a shoot okay I'm gonna have to wrap up but in today's day because at the end of the day as I said to people um if you check your history and unfortunately we weren't recording history properly history is never has never been recorded in an objective manner history has been recorded in a very subjective manner so the history that we know is through the eyes of victors and through the eyes of the people who recorded it but Everybody has their opinion, and everybody want history to be a recollection of anything to be done the way they saw it. Right? It's not like you're gonna recall something in the way you saw it. You're gonna recall it in the way, sorry, in the way in an objective way for everybody to understand to, it. To, to understand. You're gonna recall the thing the way you want it to be recalled. And um, so that's that. All right. I just got distracted there. So at the end of the day, oh, I, oh, even, right, even my recollections right now, although I try to be very transparent and very honest. Not transparent, I don't try to tell too much story still, because even some of the uh, stories um, I have held back. But you're still trying to be um, honest though, and try to keep it Um Unaware of the audience, don't become aware of the audience, although I'm aware that my wife might one day listen to it and look at me and say, you okay? Because <laughs> that's thing, you know, Her thing is, you are right, you know, you're, fine. you're right, you talk to yourself, you this, you that. But one thing I even found that talking into this thing and disclosing and even my daughter walking by and hearing me talking must be saying, he's talking as if I'm not right here. But at the end of the day, it's an exercise that you do because if you don't, then you're keeping the, the thoughts and the knowledge within yourself. And I've done that for many, many years. And I know, yes, the world is happier for it. But um, at the end of the day, you put it down. And at the end of the day, it's what comes from the inside out. And at the end of the day, um, you know, for what it's worth, it's here for anyone to listen. So um, the next chapter in Laurie Gunn's Born for Dead is called Endgame. We are not even halfway of the book and it's talking about Endgame. So I'm not sure what's happening here. But the next chapter which will be chapter 4 will be in call Endgame. Larry Guns. Laurie Guns G-U-N-S T Born for B-O-R-N-F-I-D-E-A-D. A Journey through the Yardie Underground. If you wanna buy it, it's on Amazon. It was banned in Jamaica, I understand. You can bite, but um, in the meantime, if you don't bite, you can torture yourself and listen to me. Anyway, one love, stay blessed, God bless, Um, you know, love, peace and happiness. One love to you and your family.